Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We got a big program today. Starting out, I want to get into a deep dive on what the real Republican agenda is. Actually, the the title of my piece, next up on the GOP's agenda, Stripping Women of Political and Economic Power. Once they're done with birth control pills, then they're going to be coming for gay marriage and ultimately civil rights laws themselves, including, like in Hungary, the right to assembly, the right to free speech, and the right to due process. Just follow me, you know, follow my logic here on this. I think you'll find it interesting. You know, you know as, as we all saw, in about six months, probably this decision will come down in June of next year. In about six months, Republicans in 30 Republican-controlled states will probably lose their right to access to an abortion. I was absolutely spellbound uh, on the way into work when I came to the studio and then uh, throughout the, the hour that we were doing show prep here, I had an earbud in and I was listening to the debates, or debate is the wrong word, the, the pleadings before the Supreme Court. And I, it's quite clear to me, and, and I, I just saw the front page of the Washington Post, they appear to be agreeing with me, that all uh, six of the right-wingers on the Supreme Court, including John Roberts, who we thought might have been a swing vote, but all six of them are in favor of striking down Roe v. Wade. And presumably, you know, Planned Parenthood v. Casey also. And they have presented different rationales for doing that. But the main one that I think is going to probably win the day is that this is a decision that should be up to, quote, the people. In other words, devolve it from the federal level down to the state level. It should be up to the states. And two data points on that that I thought were fascinating. One was Sonia Sotomayor, one of the three remaining liberals on the bench, warned that, uh, number one, overturning Roe would cause people to see the Supreme Court as a political entity. And that would diminish the, the court's credibility. I, frankly, I think that, you know, that horse left the barn a long time ago. And most Americans realize that the court is a political entity, and that's why there's such a big battle over courts, not just the Supreme Court. Our courts in general have become political entities and, and frankly, have been throughout the entire history of the United States. 
And, and I could give you case and verse on that, but I wrote a book on it if you want to really dig into it. It's called The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. So number one, there's this issue of legitimacy. But the other one that I found was fascinating was the lawyer who was representing Mississippi said, there is nothing in the Constitution that protects a woman's right to have an abortion. And Sonia Sotomayor said, you're right. There is not a specific reference to abortion in the Constitution, but there's not a specific reference to a lot of things in the Constitution that this court has recognized as rights. And then she goes on to say, and this is where it really got interesting, she said, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that this court has the right to decide whether there is a right to an abortion. There's literally nothing in the Constitution that says the Supreme Court can even be hearing this case. But in 1803, in a case called Marbury versus Madison, this court decided by itself that it was taking on that power. And this court since that time, since 1803, has on multiple occasions decided what is the law or changed the law or essentially created the law whether it's, you know, on guns or whether it's, you know, just a whole variety of things. And she's, and, and, you know, and she's saying, you know, I'm, what I'm wondering, what I was wondering as I was hearing that was, is this Sotomayor making basically just a, 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 a clear but plain vanilla legal, legal argument against his assertion that there's no constitutional right to an abortion? Or was she signaling to Congress you guys under Article 3, Section 2 have the power to create, you know, well, to regulate the court, but you guys also have the power to pass laws. I think the huge issue here is that back in 1973 when Roe was decided, that was 50 years ago. Or is it longer than that? 60 years ago? Whatever it is. That was a long time ago. I can't do math in my head that fast. I think it's around 50 years ago. And when that happened, Congress should have passed a law that agreed with that Supreme Court decision. And Congress has had 50 years to pass that law, basically, that would agree with Roe v. Wade and put into law the fact that viability is the threshold. After viability, that thing, that, that thing growing inside that woman is a person. Before viability, it is not. On the eyes of the law, you can choose you know, whatever you want it to be in your religion, but this is under the eyes of the law. But Congress never did that. And that's why we're here. And this is, this is why Congress needs to, you know, there are so many things, you know, guns, for example. Again, you know, Congress needs to be responding to the Heller decision. They've never done that. So I was wondering, is Sotomayor, you know, kind of flagging this? Or is she saying, hey, Maybe you guys should take away this power that the Supreme Court has. I doubt she was saying that, but I was thinking that. So, you know, will the court survive this? What's going to happen in this, probably in three or four months, in the spring, when the Supreme Court says, okay, there's no more Roe v. Wade, and you've got basically half the states in the United States outlaw abortion altogether, and half the states in the United States have, you know, basically, you know, laws that, codify at the state level the, the provisions of Roe and Casey. What's that going to do to America? What's that going to do to our politics when Republicans no longer have abortion as an issue to get 
evangelical voters to vote Republican? Will those evangelical voters say, okay, Republicans, thank you very much. You did away with Roe v. Wade. Now, we would really, as people who are followers of Jesus Christ, we would really like to see the homeless, uh, the, ho the houseless sheltered. We would really like to see, you know, hungry children fed. We would really like to, you know, are they going to start pointing out some of the things that are also part of, you know, in addition to the, the right to life, that are also part of their religion? Are Republicans going to lose this, this sledgehammer that they've had for the last, well, ever since 1980? It was Ronald Reagan who changed the, you know, prior to 1980, the Republican Party was all pro-choice. And Reagan cut a deal with the religious right. George W. Bush negotiated that deal, cut a deal with the religious right, and the Republicans have, been with, have had this club ever You're since. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. What do you think this is going to do to our politics? I find this just absolutely fascinating. This could be a real game changer in a lot of ways. Yeah, many unanticipated, I expect. And it's important to understand that the Supreme Court doesn't give rights or grant rights. What it does is it recognizes rights and then defines the extent to which they can be infringed upon by our government. Right? Yes, you have the right to, to own a gun, but you don't have a right to own a sawed-off shotgun or a machine gun. Yes, you have the right to walk around in public, but you can't walk against a red light. Uh, you know, or you can drive in public, but you can't drive through a red light. In other words, we... What the courts do is interpret the laws in ways that, that, in many ways, restrain our rights. But generally, the courts do not take away our rights. To the best of my knowledge, this has only happened, at least with a, with a case of any substance, once in the history of the Supreme Court, and that was in 1896 in Plessy versus Ferguson, where the Supreme Court took away the rights that had been granted to African Americans with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the Constitution and through the process of Reconstruction took away those rights to vote, to public assembly, to, to due process, uh, you know, basically stripped African Americans of virtually all of the due process rights for the next 50 years. And then the Supreme Court restored those rights in 1954 with Brown versus Board. But that's about it. But here we have a case where the court is planning on taking away constitutional rights, specifically from women. The court ruled in 73 that women have a, a right to an abortion in part because of the liberty right defined in the 14th Amendment that, you know, no state shall, and specifically says no state shall, uh, you know, take away any person's uh, rights, right to liberty, unless through due process, unless it's done by an act of law. And this is what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to create an act of law here. And, uh, and the Fourth Amendment privacy right, which, you know, the Fourth Amendment basically says you're, you have security in your personal effects. And uh, that, that was the woman's privacy right to keep a, an abortion between herself and her physician. And, you know, here we are. So what's next? Well, next up on the GOP agenda is stripping women of political and economic power by banning most forms of birth control. You'll recall, those of you old enough to remember, know, remember what I'm talking about. And, and the birth control pill was uh, uh, approved by the FDA in 1959. It was legalized, but for the next two years, it was only used for things like irregular menstrual periods. In 1961, it was approved for contraception. But it really wasn't until 63, 64 that it started being used in a big way 
uh, as a birth control pill. There was, you know, people had doubts about, you know, is it safe? Is it going to cause cancer? All that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, but now we've got it. Now we've got birth control pills and birth control pills and IUDs are up next on these guys's uh, agenda. For example, in Texas, Senate Bill 8, which puts that $10,000 bounty on the heads of people who help a woman get an abortion. That's the one that gets all the attention. But Senate Bill 4 also passed. And Senate Bill 4 is uh, particularly insidious. It makes it a crime for a woman to be prescribed the, uh, any of these abortion-inducing drugs more than three weeks after missing a period. Milf, Mifeprex, which works up to 70 days after the last menstrual period. Cytotec, which works up to 13 weeks of pregnancy. And methotrexate, which works up to nine weeks of pregnancy. Um, a physician can go to prison if they prescribe these after the third week after a missed period. Uh, Lauren Windsor, the reporter, asked Texas Governor Greg Abbott straight up if he wanted to try to ban all birth control in the, all birth control pills in the state of Texas. And he said it was still possible, which is step two on the Republican Party's war on women. Rick Santorum famously ran for president in 2012 on a platform. You know, he was just right up front about it, Rick Santorum, that he wanted to ban birth control pills because he felt that hormonal birth control was actually a form of abortion. These, this is what's called personhood. These, these personhood bills define life as beginning at the moment of fertilization. When the sperm crawls up the fallopian tube and intersects an egg and fertilizes that egg, that, according to these personhood bills that have been introduced in states and at the federal level, none have passed so far. But there's a whole bunch of them waiting for Roe v. Wade to get knocked down. They define personhood. They define that, that fertilized egg as a person. Now, this is three days before it implants in the uterine wall. And, you know, attach and, and forms a placenta and begins uh, the process of gestation. So, you know, bottom line here, at least one legislative branch of the following states have already passed one of these personhood laws, which would outlaw IUDs, which prevent implantation, and would outlaw all hormonal birth control pills, which prevent implantation. And the states that have already passed these through at least one branch of their legislatures are Montana, Kansas, Virginia, Tennessee, North Dakota, Arkansas, Mississippi, and they have been introduced, but not yet passed, in Ohio, Georgia, Maine, Texas, South Carolina, Oklahoma, Iowa, and in the United States Congress. There's a group called the Personhood Alliance. They have affiliates all across the United States. Catholic leaders have signed on with this. Multiple hard-right evangelical groups have signed on. Uh, denominations have signed on to this as well. I mean, there's a long history here of men controlling women and, and passing laws to do the same. I mean, you know, at the time of the, of the foundation of this country, when, when we became a country in, in 1789, a married woman was not allowed to make out a will. She was not allowed to own land. She could not legally own anything worth, you know, worthy of willing to another person. Any property she brought into a marriage became her husband's at the moment of marriage and would only revert to her if he died and she did not remarry. But even then, she'd have to give one-third of it. She'd only get one-third of her husband's property. And what third that was and how she could use it would be determined by a court-appointed man, a male executor, who would supervise her for the rest of her life or until she remarried. 
when she dies, or when a widow dies, the executor could either take the property for himself or else decide to whom it would pass. She couldn't leave a will. She has no say in the matter. Women could not sue in a court of law except using the weak procedures allowed to the mentally ill and to children. And it, it goes on. There's a whole list of these things over in my op-ed today. And, of course, this is all based on this religious notion that Eve ate the apple and therefore God is pissed off at women. St. Paul wrote about it. St. Jerome wrote about it. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote about it. I quote all of them in the, in the op-ed. So here we are now with the GOP's Commission for the Promotion of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice. It's on its way. And it's not like we weren't warned. During Mike Pence's first year as governor of Indiana, his state put a young woman in prison for having a miscarriage, alleging that she'd taken an abortion-causing drug. Pervy Patel did not have a trace of such drug in her system, but Pence sentenced her to 20 years in prison anyway. Just a few years earlier, Indiana had also held B.B. Schwa for 435 days in the brutal maximum security Marion County prison, facing 45 years to life for trying to kill herself and in the process causing the death of her 33-week fetus. Utah charged 28-year-old Melissa Ann Rowland with murder because she refused a C-section, preferring vaginal birth for her twins, and one of them died in the birth process. 16-year-old Rennie Gibbs was charged by the state of Mississippi with depraved heart murder when her baby was born dead because his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. She had traces of cocaine in her system, and so off she goes to prison. Angela Carter was ordered to have a C-section to deliver her baby before she died of cancer. She and the baby both died from the procedure. These cases have exploded, cases like this. Duke University's Journal of Health, Politics, Policy, and Law found 413 cases like this between the time Roe v. Wade became law in 2005, and then the Guttmacher Institute found another 380 cases between 2005 and 2014. Georgia just passed a law signed by Governor Brian Kemp which puts any woman in that state who has a miscarriage at the risk of 30 years in prison or even the death penalty. And other states are in line to do the same. Now, we saw this in Romania, which passed a similar, you know, a total abortion ban back in 1966. And 10,000 women died of botched illegal abortions. That's the official number. The actual number is probably 10 times that. Maternal death was higher than in any other country in Europe by a factor of 10. Poverty among women exploded. When that country was open to the world in 1989, not even 30 years later, over 170,000 children were, were found in these brutal orphanages, ignored, emaciated, and handcuffed to cribs. When Governor Mike Pence proudly signed Indiana's abortion restrictions in 2016, that law required that an abortion be buried in a cemetery or cremated and have a ceremony. So women all across Indiana started this periods for Pence thing, letting Mike Pence know when their period began and when it ended so they wouldn't be busted and have to, and have to create a, a, a funeral for their menstrual periods. I mean, this is, this is like Saudi Arabia. And this is just the beginning. I, I've got more, and I will share it with you after the break. And in fact, where we're going with this goes way beyond women, goes way beyond abortion, and even goes way beyond birth control. And I'll get into that in just a minute. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Stripping not just women of political and economic power, ending civil liberties in America.
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Sonia Sotomayor, again, she, I think she made some of the most brilliant observations. She said, when does the life of a woman and the risk to her health enter the analysis? She said, poor women who elect abortions before viability, they're put at a tremendously greater risk, 14 times greater to give birth to a child full term than to have a pre-viability abortion. So a woman is 14 times more likely to, uh, to die or be injured by pregnancy than by an abortion and yet, these conservatives on the court want the state to make that decision rather than the woman or her physician. But anyhow, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure this thing is going to go down in flames, and, and uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. Anyhow, picking up your phone calls, Jill in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Jill, what's up? Hi, you were talking about hormonal birth control preventing implantation. Yeah, it's one of the three mechanisms by which it works. Well, unless something has changed, and I'm old, so who knows, birth control used to work, hormonal birth control, the ones you take for 21 days and then off for seven days, they don't prevent implantation, they prevent ovulation. They trick your body into thinking you're already pregnant so that you don't ovulate so that you can't get pregnant. That's, that is one of the three mechanisms of action of hormonal birth control. It also alters the mucosal lining of the uterus, so if an egg gets past that, it can be implanted. And that's the basis of all these personhood laws, is the fact that, that that's not the way that it works every single time, that, that hormonal birth control works every single time. In fact, that's probably the minority way that it works, but it does work that way occasionally. That's kind of the backup, as it were. And I'm forgetting the second mechanism, but there's a link to, to the science on all three of those mechanisms in my article. And it's the forbidding of implantation that is how these uh, personhood laws would ban hormonal birth control. Jill, I looked it up. You know, when I wrote this piece, I looked it up. So you're, you're right and I'm right. It's, it's both. Typically, it's preventing ovulation, but not always. I think the reason it prevents implantation is probably because when you stop after 21 days, then you get your period. So if anything did implant, it would leave. <laughs> yeah, it may be. It, it, the, what I read was that it actually alters the uterus in a way that is essentially hostile to implantation, that it thickens mm. the, the, uh, the mucosal lining of the, the uterus. But, you know, I'm not an obgen, but, but I did confirm that that is 
Preventing implantation is one of the three methods that, birth control, that hormonal birth control works by and that that is the basis on which using these personhood laws and that these uh, and this personhood coalition, I mean, go look at their website. Uh, <laughs> they're all over this, right? They're saying this is an abortion because you have a fertilized egg, granted rarely, but you have a fertilized egg that cannot find a home in the uterus and therefore they're calling that an abortion. Jill, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'm not a religious person. I, you know, religions, in my opinion, are irrational. But my comment pertaining to abortions, and I wanted to hear your opinion, is, is this. If the Supreme Court uh, aligns themselves by attacking or banning abortions, in essence, this is an assault in the First Amendment and freedom of religion. They are imposing their will or, or one particular religious view on everybody else's uh, views. And so I wanted to take your uh, comments on that. Thanks. I agree. I, this issue of when life begins before viability, you know, does life begin at the moment of fertilization? Does it begin at the moment of implantation? Does it begin at the moment that the, that the, the fetus or the zygote or whatever it is at that stage of development um, starts looking like a human being? Does, it, it, does life begin? You know, that is a, essentially a religious question right now. You know, legally, we have decided life begins at viability. And, uh, you know, that's the secular legal perspective. And the religious perspective has been all over the map over the years. I mean, it used to be that uh, it was just in the Catholic Church. There was a time when quickening was believed to be the moment of, of uh, the beginning of life. Quickening being when a woman could feel a baby moving inside her, in, inside her womb. Um, it, there, prior to that, it was believed that uh, the, the first breath, after the first breath was drawn, there, there, there was a time, there were, there were times in the Middle Ages and, um, when uh, Catholic doctrine and other religious doctrine was that a, you know, a, a life began about a week after birth because so many babies didn't survive childbirth. There were so many infections. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just been all over the map, Alfredo, and, and yeah. Randy in Cincinnati. Hey, Randy, what's up? Hey, I just had a comment about what would happen if they made, this is in Ohio, if they made uh, abortion illegal in Ohio, I think that the Dems would come out and uh, vote a lot more, especially women. This is what I'm suspecting that, you know, we have not had, particularly white women, you have not seen a Democratic candidate for president win the white vote in the United States since 1964. That was the last time that a Democrat running for president won over 50 percent of white people in America. President Johnson. Yeah, it was Lyndon Johnson. But ever since then, it's been, you know, it's been a, a coalition of people of color and white people. And I think that abortion has galvanized the Republican Party for 50 years now, and or, or 40 years anyway, since, since Reagan embraced it in 1980. And if the Supreme Court does what it sure looks like they're going to do, um, it probably you know in, in March or April, they'll strike down Roe v. Wade, and, and suddenly you're going to have abortion illegal in 20, 25 states. I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to energize Democrats in those states, and it could cause those states to go from being purple or red states to, be, to becoming blue states. Um, abortion well, will become an, an issue that works for Democrats instead of Republicans. 
Exactly. You had the guy from the UC Law School on here the other day talking about how the uh, state houses were all uh, rigged. They're right. all Republican. Yeah. Who was that guy? The guy, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he wrote a book. Uh, 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 David Pepper, he wrote a book called Laboratories yeah. of Autocracy. Yeah. Yes, that guy. Thank you very much. Nathan in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. Hey, Nathan, what's up? Hey, Tom. This sounds, you know, the Republicans are referred to as conservatives a lot, and I mm -hmm. uh, apologize for the repetitiveness, but these guys are radical Puritans. And I agree. I think uh, this is just becoming so obvious and in our face that I think we should try to, as often as we can, refer to them as radical Puritans because the extent to which they're trying to I mean, they don't even try to hide it anymore, yep. and uh, they're they're just making so much progress. And with the drift of you know the right wing uh, AM talk radio now into like Hispanic areas, mm -hmm. and um, this continuing drift to the right of all of our media uh, is just you know amplifying it and accelerating it. So, yep. um, uh, the, I mean, uh, I think the one thing we have to do. I mean, the most important thing is we got to get rid of electronic voting machines and go back to hand-counted ballots on paper, and yeah. then we can eliminate this whole thing about uh, fraudulent voting. Yeah, uh, that won't stop them. They're, you know, it's a lie to begin with, uh, Nathan, and they will just continue lying. They'll just figure out some new way to lie. Nathan, thank you for the call. I mean, their, their most recent one is it's those mail-in ballots. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey, we have a new video up over at TomHarbin.com. It's about a growing movement, oddly enough, on the hard right, on the far fringe extreme right, that says that because Congress, after the Civil War, had not seated senators and members of the House from the former Confederate states and refused to until they changed their state constitutions to eliminate slavery because they did not have a say in the writing and the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that ended slavery, gave equal protection under the law to everybody, and guaranteed the right to vote to formerly enslaved people, that because the Confederate states were not represented, these are illegitimate amendments. And oddly, one of the people who's at the forefront of this is Amy Coney Barrett. It's all over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Okay, so did you know that the Supreme Court is hearing another case? And this case has to do with the state of Maine. The Supreme Court is hearing a case in which religious schools, which discriminate against gay teachers, LGBTQ teachers, and staffers, and will not enroll LGBTQ kids and teach that being gay is a sin, that those schools are now demanding that the state of Maine pay the tuition for the students attending them out of public school money. Now, just think about this. You know, the First Amendment guarantees us freedom of religion. Uh, Jefferson referred to it as a wall of separation between church and state. The Supreme Court is hearing a case today that tears down that wall. 
in the 1960s, I mean, this is what they're trying to take us back to, right? In the 1960s, uh, employers could fire women for getting pregnant. Women had no legal right to a harassment-free workplace. They were charged extra for health insurance. They could be legally raped by their husbands, among other indignities. The Supreme Court has already rolled back women's protections in the workplace. I mean, do, do you see where this is going? This is not just, oh, we're going to become like Saudi Arabia and uh, there's going to be a bounty uh, you know, a $10,000 bounty for any man who can turn in a woman who had a, who, you know, had a miscarriage that she might have induced, whether it was by throwing herself down the stairs or whether it was by taking one of these drugs. But after this, after they've taken down abortion, after they've taken down birth control, after they've taken down gay marriage, because the foundation of the Supreme Court decision that granted gay marriage is the same foundation of privacy and liberty that Roe was found was decided on. Then what's next? Well, I think they're gonna. They're, these guys are looking to Hungary, right? That's where Tucker Carlson did his show from for a week. That's where CPAC is holding their conference this year. And what have they done in Hungary? They have ended the right to assembly. You cannot protest in public in Hungary without the government's permission. They have ended the right to free speech. They have ended their free press, and they have ended the rights to due process. Winter is coming. Next stop, Gilead. So what do you think? Have I gone off the edge on this one? Or are, do you think that these are actual legitimate concerns, that this is actually the direction the Republican Party wants to go? I am convinced it is. math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. up your phone calls. Joanne in Van Nuys, California. Hey, Joanne, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? 
Well, I wanted to add to what you were saying, and I wanted to add the fact that in the Dark Ages, the sperm was considered the, the entire being, and women only as incubators. Therefore, women had no rights whatsoever and were considered finite and mortal. And the Puritan phrase that was taught young Puritan boys and men were infinite and immortal. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up is the fact why I don't understand, and maybe you can answer this, why there is an outrage at the billions of dollars that have been spent to subsidize since 1997 Viagra. So I called the San Antonio uh, Catholic Church's Ethics Center, and I talked to a fellow there who had no idea how to respond to me. He had been in the seminary at an early age of 15, and I suggested to him that he really had no right to be deciding uh, the rights of other people, as I would not decide his, because he wasn't uh, hadn't any experience whatsoever in marriage or really with women. So I just wanted to um, mention that to you. Wow, wow, yeah. The the theory that you're referring to that was kind of pre. Uh Oh, what was his name? The guy who invented the microscope, Van Leeuwenhoek, I think uh, it was. Van Leeuwen, 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 Van Leeuwenhoek, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and it was called the homunculus uh, theory. And, and it would, the theory was that a sperm was actually a little tiny person. And uh, that, and, and, and in fact, that's even, even for several years after the development of the microscope, they continue to believe that. And that little tiny person, you know, just got put in the toaster oven uh, that was, you know, the, the, the woman. And uh, like you said, she was she was the toaster oven, and uh, therefore you know largely disposable. And it was all about you know can and that's and that's why you know like you know Henry VIII kept killing wives because he didn't want to admit that he wasn't producing male babies. He wasn't producing little homunculus you know male uh, sperms. I guess it's a bizarre bizarre history. Joanne, thank you. Okay. Thank thank you for adding to the conversation. Uh -huh. Catherine in uh, Tascadero, California. Hey, Catherine, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I wanted to talk a minute about this miscarriage laws now that they're trying to ram through, especially in Mississippi, you said. Yeah. And I want to just present to you a, a theory of mine is that most women who have miscarriages are probably in the lower income brackets because they don't have access to doctors because Mississippi did not take the, um, I believe they did not take the Obamacare influx of money. So they don't have access to doctors, they don't get proper food, they don't get prenatal care, and I believe most of them are probably black in Mississippi. I don't know, I've never been there. Yeah. So my question to you is, I may be right or wrong, but is this another reason to imprison people of color? Yes, every okay. single one of, you know, that list of women that I named who were all imprisoned for having miscarriages, every single one of them was a woman of color. Um, those laws are disproportionately enforced against women of color. Poverty, of course, in Mississippi is not limited to black people, but it is disproportionately visited upon them. Yeah. Right. And by the way, this, I learned something this morning. I, I, in my original draft of the article, which is what I emailed out to all the subscribers to Hartman Report, in the original draft it said that uh, one in four or one in five pregnancies ends in a miscarriage, which was you know, historically conventional wisdom. I mean, you know, uh, Louise, for example, my wife has been pregnant four times. We had a miscarriage between our first and second child, which was devastating. I mean, you just don't want that to happen. You know, it was devastating to both of us, particularly to Louise. It was really hard on her. 
And I sent that out, and a fellow who was a, a specialist in genetics, you know, like a professor of genetics or something, I, I forget his title, but sent me back a note saying, you haven't read the, the most recent research. And he sent me a link to one of these government sites. And uh, in fact, I've, I've got it. I still have it up on my computer right here because I edited my op-ed in real time so that now it reflects that. And uh, it's titled, Misjudging Early Embryo Mortality in Natural Human Reproduction. It was published by, you know, in Pub, PubMed uh, in 2020. And basically, you know, the bottom line here is that they're saying that the total number of actual miscarriages is between 40 and 60 percent of all fertilizations. It's just that most of them are so early on that the woman just thinks her period was late for four or five days or or even on time more or less, but but you know typically just a, a little bit late. That was actually a miscarriage and you know was not identified as such because there wasn't this sense of pregnancy. So it's far more common. In fact, this this uh, physician sent me this note. He said, you know, uh, uh, apparently God is the ultimate abortion doctor because you know created at least half of all the all these uh, so-called dead babies. So yeah, Catherine, thank you very much for that. You can find the link, by the way, in my piece at HartmanReport.com. And Andrea in Reno, Nevada. Hey, Andrea, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. You're reading your crystal ball about what you think is going to be happening in the near future with conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court. Based on what they're um, saying. From, yes. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. And from time to time, you have referred to the U.S. Supreme Court as kings and queens, haven't you? Yes. I have yes. in the past. Well, this recent case is glaring red flag right now how, uh, how right you are. Now we all need to focus on remedies. After you go into reading your crystal ball, and I, I definitely think that you're on the right track about that, and I think it's on steroids, scarily. I, I think that's true. Well, you also, I think, need to also um, let us or educate us about is what is codifying a law about. I heard about that on MSNBC last night, and we have to talk about what the remedies are. We're talking about all these scary points of what we can expect our lives uh, how the U.S. is turning into the dark ages, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I really think this is true. Um, and what we can do, though, to fight it, yeah. we have a very scary, very thin window right. that we have left open to ourselves as, as Democrats, as lefties. And I don't know about 2022. I don't know about voting rights. But we have to do our damnedest to activate. I don't see, when I read leftist bloggers I see them very uneducated. I don't, I don't see any activism in them. I see too much bashing the left. You have problem, we have problems with conservative Democrats, absolutely. But I think more important than that, we have to focus, like you said, like the name of your show, the big picture. What do we do to educate the populace, the people around us, our family and friends, activate to educate them, to tell them, what they need to do so that we can turn things around because we have a very small, very narrow window. I and agree. I, I, we, here, here's the situation, Andrea. We have two political parties in this country that, you know, and, and basically because we have first passed the post winner take all elections, it's always going to be two political parties. Right now, one of those political parties, the Democratic Party, is committed to democracy, to the idea that the will of the people is what should be turned into law. If the majority of the people want, you know, something that is, you know, doesn't violate people's constitutional rights, then, you know, for example, the majority of the people want Medicare expanded. That should happen, right? There's that idea. We've got another political party, the Republican Party, that has ingratiated itself to the hard Christian right 
the fundamentalist Christian right, that does not, that is not a fan of liberty, that wants theocracy. And that's what this case that the Supreme Court is hearing, you know, this law in Maine is all about, that would force um, the, the state to pay for tuition for kids who want to go to religious schools instead of public schools. And, you know, which has always been just, a, you know, parents have a choice, but they have to pay the bill, right? And, and but this would, this would force taxpayers to pay for it. And, and it, this is a party, the Republican Party is a party that is, is no longer committed to democracy. They're, they're, they're committed to autocracy. They're embracing autocrats around the world. Trump uh, brought this out. Uh, you know, I mean, his first trip uh, overseas was to Saudi Arabia. He, he's chummy with, with all the autocrats. He's very hostile to the people who ran other democracies in, in Europe, for example. And, and we just have to defeat that party. We have to do it, and we, as you said, we have to do it by educating people. We need to wake people up. We need to make sure everybody's registered to vote. It's going to be a lot harder to vote in a lot of states in 2022 and even harder than that in 2024. But, you know, we have no alternative. There is no turning back at this point. The, the Republican Party has completely committed themselves to this path. And, and, and we have to stop them. We have to stop them at the ballot box. I don't, you know, I, I don't know of another way that doesn't involve bloodshed, and I'm not willing to go down that road. Andrea, thank you for the call. I, I've got to move along. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just real fast, just talk about codifying federal law right now. Codifying well, my understanding, I, I'm not an attorney, but my understanding is that when you, uh, when the court determines that it looks at a law that has been passed to determine if it's constitutional or not, if they determine that, yes, this is constitutional, um, they're essentially approving of it. I don't know if codifying, which I believe means put into the code, put into the law, right? Um, but. I, you know, Andrea, I'm not, I'm not certain of the answer to that question. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, but I think it means just basically saluting and saying, yes, that's, that's legal or no, that's not. We're going to remove it. That, that it would not be codified. But um, I, I may be wrong on that particular word. So my apologies. Andrea, thank you for the call. Amy in Los Angeles. Hey, Amy, what's up? Hi, Tom. I love this discussion. I'm glad we're getting into this because it's incredibly important. But I wanted to bring up the topic of in vitro fertilization. Which um, the personhood movement is, would also ban. Correct. And, but, but I don't know if it actually would, though. Has it, has it been defined? Because Christians tend to look the other way on the abortions that are caused by IVF. Because, especially with all the Catholics on the Supreme Court, um, and I am a former Catholic, I mean, you know, life it begins at conception, and yet you are conceiving all of these uh, fertilized eggs and then inserting them. Many are, are kept in storage, and then selective abortions when you put too many in, and too many are, are, are uh, faking. But then also, a lot of the times, if you're having trouble conceiving, a lot of times you're going to have complicated pregnancies. And so I have friends. Lots of my friends have gone through IVF, and you know, one of them had two late-term abortions because the fetus were not was not viable. And so, there's a lot of abortions and fertilized eggs that are carelessly put together and then never used. And so, where is the, I guess, the uh, awareness and discussion about that? Because if we're going to have a conversation about all life has to go full term, aside from the fact that God creates abortions through miscarriage, um, we really need to be pointing out that IVF is another form of that. And I'm not trying to get rid of IVF. I'm a supporter of abortion rights and women's rights to their autonomy of their body. But I'm just saying there's a lot of hypocrisy with, with IVF. There was and my a, other point, I just if, want to... Let yeah, me speak ahead. to that, if I may, uh, while still fresh in my mind. There was a movement um, a little more than a decade ago, and, and my recollection is that Ralph Reed was very, very involved in it, 
to block IVF or it, which, what we're talking about here is in vitro fertilization, which is where you take a bunch of eggs and put them in a petri dish, introduce some sperm, um, notice which ones have been successfully fertilized, pop a couple of them inside the woman's uterus, and then you know if one of them implants, you try to get the rest of them out of there. Um, and that movement uh, took two directions. One was they were arguing that if you implant three or four uh, uh, fertilized eggs and they all stick, then that woman is just going to have quintuplets. And so you were having these, the, you know, women who kind of subscribed to that notion were literally having six, seven, eight babies at once um, out of IVF. Yeah. The, other, the other was to be, he wanted to ban pouring the, uh, uh, the, the fertilized eggs down the drain, which is what they were doing with them, and force <laughs> them to be frozen and preserved for infertile couples for the future. I don't know where that movement yeah. is at now. I, I just haven't been keeping track of it. I, I don't, but I mean, it's, it's pretty accepted in our, in our culture. I mean, insurance covers it in some cases, and the, and the reason why they do implant so many is because it's really expensive. It's, so they're trying to be efficient with this. But the other thing is, is that you've got... Um, uh, the so many of these people are doing are doing this and you know george bush as evangelical as they come his that's how his twins were conceived so we have to really start pointing out this hypocrisy uh, of that they're looking the other way and i'm just wondering also if we can put this in the ear that women have an autonomy to their bodies you mean in the era the equal rights amendment Sorry, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, with you. That's that's a, a great uh, you know amendment, as it were, to the amendment. I'm with you, Amy. Amy, thank you very much for the call. You know, what's next? Is birth control next? Or is the next thing they're going to go after uh, public schools? Is it going to be your right to protest? I mean, they're already starting to go after that, right, with these laws that decriminalize running cars into protesters? Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Susan in Hing, Hingham, how do you how do you say it in Montana? Hingham. Hingham. Oh, okay. Hey, Susan, what's up? What's on your mind today? Yes, I just wanted to ask you a question. As the Republicans always cry abortion on every election, now Democrats can't. If uh, what Kavanaugh's statement, he stated that the court should be neutral and should be kicked to the states of Congress. Right. Wouldn't it be advantageous to Democrats in red states to get elected and make it legal? Because the majority of men and women want, you know, legal abortion. Which raises an interesting question, Susan. I wonder if Judge Justice Kavanaugh also thinks that uh, the Supreme Court should be neutral about, you know, whether or not, uh, for example, black people should be allowed to vote or women should be. Well, I guess women, you know, it's, I, you could argue those things are in the Constitution explicitly. But you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to think here of other things where the court has taken on, I'll have to ponder this one for a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I think that uh, that's what's gonna happen, and I, I riffed about this a little bit yesterday. I think that 
um, I, I believe, uh, time will tell, of course, that uh, yeah, after this did. decision, you're going to have 20 or 30 states where it's going to be illegal or very, very difficult to get an abortion. And the consequence of that is going to be that Democrats are going to start using this as a wedge issue after Republicans have been yeah. doing it for 50 years. Yeah, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren yesterday on MSNBC was kind of hinting at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm, I'm with you. Thank you very much for the call. Cindy in Euclid, Ohio. Hey, Cindy, what's up? Uh, this is an affront to my sincerely held religious belief as far as it goes. I uh, don't think that the soul enters the body at conception at all. And I also believe in reincarnation. I call myself a Christo-Buddhist. I kind of believe in both. But also, not just that. I also have many genetic problems. And I think it should be my right to decide whether or not I want to raise a child with the kind of things that I had to go through. Mm. I joke with my doctor and I say, call it self-imposed eugenics if you like. But I should have that right and also the right to decide whether I want to propagate this guy, you know, especially when you're single. When you're married, that's a contract. It's a different mm. thing. But if you're a single woman, especially, you should have control over that. Now, I'm going to confess to you, uh, in 1974, I had an abortion in Texas, where I was living at the time. I lived there for quite a few years. And uh, it wasn't pleasant. It was a year after Roe v. Wade. I was panicked that they would suddenly revoke it. Uh, I found out after the fact that the guy was married with three kids, hmm. among other things, my other concerns as well. Uh, it was performed without anesthetic. It oh, was wow. not pleasant. Uh, I think I had an out-of-body experience at the time. Yeah. As a doctor griped about the dull instruments, I think it was a form of torture, too. But... Hopefully they won't come and bust me. Yeah. Well, Cindy, these are not easy decisions, they, and, and they should rightly be up to the women themselves. Cindy, thank you so much for the call, and thanks for sharing your story with us. And welcome back. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's on your mind today? Abortion mm-hmm. versus women having civil rights as equal citizens. Because that's what this amounts to. Do we get treated as adults, we women? Can we make up our own mind how to conduct our own lives? This is not really about pro-life. It's about whether or not women will retain civil rights in this country. The next, you know, there are rumors now that Texas is talking about outlawing all contraceptives in the state. So they want women to be pregnant. They want women to stay home and raise their children, move them out of the workplace, make them totally dependent on their husbands or their fathers. And next thing is what? You don't need an education if you're just going to stay home and raise children? This is not really about whether or not a woman has a right to abortion. It has a it is about the civil rights of females in the United States. Are we property? Are we equal citizens? Are we adults? Are we juveniles? And this is, most people aren't even looking at it this way. They're worrying about whether or not they have a right to an abortion. But this is a stair step. This is a ladder to women losing all of their civil rights in this country. And I don't think anybody's looking at far enough down the road. Right. Well, and, and the other thing is, uh, Norma, the, and the other point that uh, Justice Sotomayor made was that the right to an abortion 
is uh, grounded. In fact, this is the principal argument that was made by, uh, I believe, the woman who was uh, arguing on behalf of the abortion clinic. The right to an abortion is grounded in the 14th Amendment's guarantee of liberty. It says no, no state or no, let me get the exact language, but you know, you can't deny life, liberty, or well, hang on, let me get the actual language for you because it, it's, it's kind of cool. Amendment 14, yeah. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And so basically, you know, they kept saying, well, where in the Constitution do you find this right to abortion? And she kept saying, in the 14th Amendment, it's a liberty right. Uh, women should have liberty. And, you know, until there is an overriding public consideration that, that you know, violates that, that, that supersedes that, and that would be the point of viability. After the point of viability, the state has, a, has a, an ability and a power to regulate abortion before viability it should be a liberty issue for the woman. And that was the argument that the issue was making. But then Sotomayor said, okay, that liberty argument, which the conservatives are arguing before the Supreme Court or argued before the Supreme Court is irrelevant, is not a legitimate basis for, for an abortion right. That is also the right that the Supreme Court cited in saying that gay marriage is legal. That's also the right that the Supreme Court cited in saying that that laws, state laws against interracial marriage should be struck down, you know, in, in the Loving v. Virginia case. I mean, there, there's a dozen cases or more that, that use that same uh, rubric, that same uh, legal device to establish rights for people. And if we strike down abortion by saying that that interpretation of the Constitution is not legitimate, then there's another dozen rights that go beyond a woman's right to have an ab abortion, like, to gay marriage and, and interracial marriage and, and uh, just a whole bunch of things that suddenly become or the, the right to even be gay in our society without you know, being tortured or murdered. Uh, you know, well, uh, well, how about women's right to vote? Or are we going to lose that, too, because we're just property? Well, there's an actual constitutional amendment for that. I mean, you've got the, the 19th yeah. Amendment there. Well, but. Why, the, you don't think they won't go after trying to overthrow that? These people are, I think they learn all of this stuff in their evangel churches, and, they're, and they, they're using the Bible to say that women should be submissive and Well, that was the cult that Amy, Amy Coney Barrett came out of, you know. Yeah, I know. And so what does it take to explain to people that this, this endangers your daughter, your granddaughters, your nieces, your female cousins? Any woman who lives in this country would be in danger of losing her civil rights. How long do you think it will take for women to flee from all of these southern states? You know, you I think about in Texas, Norma, they're betting that, that the women in Texas are just going to slide back to the 1950s subservience. You know, it's like Louise and I were watching reruns of Bewitched over the weekend, and, and you know, uh, Elizabeth Montgomery is trying to figure out how to be a, you know, a good wife, a good housewife. Yeah. And, the, and oh, they think, oh, w women are just going to go back to the way it was in the 50s and 60s. Father knows best. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, excuse me, I was born free. <laughs> yes. And uh, it took me a long time to understand that I, as a white woman, I was born free. And I do not have to be obedient or subservient. There is not a subservient bone in my body. Well, let's, let's hope that tolerated. as a woman, period, you have, you know, as a, as a human, rather than yes. putting race on that. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, uh, Norma. Norma, I gotta run, but thank you very much for the call. Audrey in Los Angeles. Hey, Audrey, what's up? 
I'm very concerned about the Supreme Court, as so many of us are, but there's something that I'm not hearing anyone talk about it, and while unlikely, I still think we need to be aware. When Citizen United was decided, it wasn't decided on the question before the court. They greatly expanded what the plaintiffs actually asked for. That's correct. And my concern, and I haven't heard anybody say so, is the court could do the same thing now. They could say, okay, Mississippi, you do you. But they could also say, you know what, we're just going to outlaw abortion in America. And while I don't think that's really likely, we have ridden a crazy train to Looney Town now. So we're so crazy in this country that I just don't think we can count anything out. I think it's extremely unlikely. But the bigger concern, Audrey, is if they strike down Roe, they will be striking down the legal basis of Roe, which is that, among other things, the 14th Amendment uh, provision that says that liberty is a right that we all have, that that doesn't matter anymore. And if they strike that down, striking down that le- the legal infrastructure that holds up Roe, that makes it very easy to strike down you know, Lawrence v. Kansas, it, it, it makes it easy to strike down Loving v. Virginia. I mean, there's a whole bunch of decisions that legalize gay marriage, that criminalize beating up and harassing and killing gay people or black people just because of who they are. All of those decisions are also at risk if Roe falls. That's my point, and that's my concern. Well, I agree with you. There's a lot to worry about. You know, the Fourth Amendment right to autonomy in our person right to privacy in our person, as it says. If that's, you know, it's a lovely thought to think, well, maybe all these these crazy people will say, oh, well, thanks for doing that for us. Now we're going to go with the people who are going to do more for us. But they've got a long list. Like you said, there's gay marriage. There's absolutely birth control. This is about controlling women's bodies. So we have to get rid of birth control next, they're thinking. There's a whole list of crap they want to do. Well, the way that they might expand this, Audrey, back to your original point, the way that they could expand it is also to open the door for states to criminalize birth control as, uh, or at least hormonal birth control, which, you know, the hardcore anti-abortion people believe that hormonal birth control itself is is a form of abortion. So, you know, they could could go that far. They They absolutely could. Audrey, thank you for the call. Thank you for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires us to be active. It's a process. It's not an end. It's a, it's a continuously renewing thing until it's not. And we've got to be very, very careful that we don't hit that until it's not moment. So please get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.